It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The Locked On NBA Fantasy Minute is presented by PrizePix. PrizePix is the most fun you can have playing daily fantasy basketball and winning up to 25 times your money. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We are very much in the thick of the fantasy basketball playoffs. You might be starting it this week. You might be already in it. It might be a week away. And at this point of the year, with only five weeks left in the entire regular season, Playing the schedule is the most important thing. So this week, the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Lakers play two games only. So any fringe players you have from those teams, even guys, yes, like Kyle Anderson replacing Kyle Anthony Towns, that's not worth it with two games on. You need to be stacking extra games and you need to be looking at the teams with four games. You need to be looking at teams with games early in the week and then switching them out for teams with more games later in the week. Get more games in, play the schedule, be cutthroat with injuries and get players in to get yourself success for fantasy basketball. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 501 of Locked On Raptors for Sunday, April 28th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And, of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network with team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. We've got Locked On Fantasy Basketball. We've got Locked On NBA Daily with a bunch of different great contributors over there, including Ben Golliver, Trevor Booker, and Sam Amick every week. And, um, yeah, that's about it. Please subscribe, rate, review, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and as well as Himalaya, which is a great podcast app for you to check out if you're in the market for a new podcast platform. And uh, that'll do it for the intro stuff. Let's get to today's show. And joining me to talk about the Raptors' 108-95 win in Game 1 over the Sixers, a game that was not even as close as that 13 points might suggest, uh, it's uh, it's the cash man himself, Joseph Kashara from The Score. What's going on, buddy? Not much, man. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I, I, I feel pretty great after that game, gotta say. It was, uh, I wasn't expecting such a resounding Game 1 win because it's the Raptors in Game 1s, but uh, as soon as they kind of came out of the gates, there was a bit of a, like a, a hiccup to start. The offense was a little bit disjointed. They went down 7-2, and then Kawhi and Pascal decided to go on like a 9-0 run by themselves, and then continued that on after a timeout by the Sixers and scored on like 14 straight possessions, and then it kind of felt good from there. Um, what was your, let's just start big and then we'll get more granular. What was your biggest takeaway from the Raptors game one win over Philly? Man, they're, they're just so good. And the collective, it's not anything new that we didn't know already after mm. the trade deadline, but like the collective IQ of their best players is, is pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even think they played that well defensively in the first half. And then I thought. Uh, in the second half, they just got back to being in the exact like 
right spot uh, to the inch every time. Uh, Gasol obviously had another great defensive game this time against the Bees instead of Nikola Vucevic. You know, we talked about, um, all of us talked about how as good as Gasol is, you know, Joel Embiid's not Nikola Vucevic. Well, Mark Gasol kind of made him look a little bit like <laughs> Nikola Vucevic last night. So, uh, yeah, those, those things stuck out to me. Uh, and then obviously, I mean, you can't talk about game one without talking about Kawhi and also Siakam. Obviously, Kawhi's 45 was the story, but Pascal Siak went 29 points on 12 of 15 shooting. <laughs> he, used, he used 20 total individual possessions to get 29 points. Um, the Sixers just had absolutely no answer for him. He was, you know, he started the game by hitting like a pull-up mid-range jumper when he realized that the Sixers weren't going to guard him from there. Mm-hmm. Um, he knocked down three or four three-pointers because, again, the Sixers made it very clear they were going to give him the shot. And then he also... You know, just kind of killed them with the, uh, that array of floaters and leaning bank shots and um, fast breaks. It was, it was the full Siakam experience. I mean, with him and Kawhi right now, I don't know if there's a bad, not no, there isn't there isn't a better duo in the East right now. The way they're playing. Yeah, I think you can argue that in the entire postseason, they've been the best one-two punch. And that's not to say Siakam is as good as, like, Steph Curry and Kevin. Like, it's not, it's not Steph and KD or anything like that, but they've played better than that pairing has uh, for the most part in these playoffs. And, yeah, th- th- this game, like, my biggest takeaway from Game 1, aside from everything you mentioned, which I agree with wholeheartedly, is that just I think the margin for error in this series is so slim for the Sixers because of their lack of depth and because Kawhi and Siakam are playing at this level, which, you know, maybe we couldn't have foreseen. I mean, I feel like everyone kind of expected Kawhi to take a step in the playoffs, and I believe now, after last night's game, he is now, like, the all-time leader in true shooting percentage in the postseason, which is fucking crazy. <laughs> but yeah. And that guy is on the Raptors. And then Pascal Siakam is just, like, he, he almost, I think, kept up close to his regular season true shooting in round one, and like he had some games where he wasn't terribly, terribly efficient, and I would just, I would imagine that those numbers took a crazy jump last night, uh, as you mentioned, twenty nine points on twenty possessions. Um, he was he was insane. It, it was just it was remarkable. He had three turnovers, which felt like a like a high in the playoffs for him. I think I think he's like averaging like one point three in these playoffs. Like the, the way those two are playing, it just makes it that much harder for the Sixers to overcome some already pretty glaring matchup problems because of how thin they are. And I guess this series, I think, is going to come down to how these teams are able to capitalize when the rotation patterns of both coaches are tested and there are like advantages to be exploited. And the Raptors won that last night. Like it wasn't even close. Brett Brown. The thing I kept thinking the entire game is, like, what the hell is this dude doing? I know he has, like, a really cute and creative and mostly smart rotation pattern where he keeps his three guys, or at least three of his guys on the court at all times, although it's at the times last night it was just two. Um, and, and uh, like, I get it, but against this Raptors team, like, they're going to get absolutely rocked if they keep rolling out lineups with, like, James Ennis and Furkan Korkmaz and Boban Marjanovic, who I think got benched in the second half, rightly, because he's just not fit for this series. Like, they, they rolled that lineup out with, like, seven minutes to go in the first quarter with still, like, four and a half minutes left of the Raptors starters' you know initial run to the game. And it's just, like, uh, that seems untenable to me. And on the flip side, the Raptors, you know, offered a lot of opportunity for Joel Embiid to go off. There was not the same sort of hard-matching of Gasol's minutes with 
Embiid's minutes that I thought we would see because Gasol was kind of just like he was brought into guard Embiid. Most, that was the most obvious thing that they traded for him to do. Um, and there was a lot of time in this game where Serge Ibaka was up against Embiid because Nurse decided to stay, remain steadfast with his rotation that he established against the Magic. He said before the game that he liked what he had and he was going to see if it worked. And for the first half, I was pretty concerned. And then it kind of worked out as the game went on. And Embiid just could not do anything close to what he should have been able to do against Serge in this one. And obviously he's hurt and that plays into it. But um, I thought that was sort of the most glaring thing to me is that when each team was presented an opportunity by the other team's rotation patterns that are sort of necessitated by the like the lack of depth on both of these teams, the Raptors just killed those minutes and the, and the Sixers just could not. And part of it was just like a ritual suicide on Brett Brown's part, being like, yeah, Raptors starters, here's Boban and Furkan Korkmaz, go nuts. Um, and, you know, part of that was the Raptors, you know, almost doing the same thing, but the Raptors survived those minutes, and I thought that was key. What, what did you think of the rotation patterns for Brett Brown uh, in this one and, and sort of, I guess, by extension, what what Nurse did as well with his rotations? I thought for Brown they were really strange, but also not surprising. I mean, this is what, um, it's what Brett Brown does, at least with this team. I think, um, especially with Mike Scott and OG and Anobio, I think, you know, mm-hmm. neither team is... Uh, as deep as they'd like to be. I think the Raptors are definitely the deeper team, but, you know, we know from watching this team over whatever it is now, 88 games, that they're obviously, they don't have the bench that they had last year, and they then gave up, obviously, even more depth to bring in Marcus Gasol, which was a fair trade-off, but it leaves you in a spot where OG Ananobi's out, and you're really, you're going eight deep at best. I know they actually go nine deep because they bring in Jody Meeks, but I think we'd all like them to stop doing that at some point <laughs> in the playoffs. Um the Sixers without Mike Scott are essentially like seven deep. Like they they can't go deep into their bench at all, and it ends up lending to these like really really strange substitution patterns for Brett Brown. Where we talked about this last night in the media gondola, like Joel Embiid's off the court um, less than six minutes into the game, and then Ben Simmons is off the court less than five minutes into the second half. Mm-hmm. Like this is the playoffs when you know ev- pretty much everything is decided by your star talent and you're dipping into a bench you can't really rely on like less than halfway into the first and third quarters. It doesn't make sense. The flip side to that, I guess, the argument you can make is that because Toronto is one of the rare teams that actually can best Philadelphia starters, Brett Brown is trying to find like other areas of the game he can find those advantages. So, mm-hmm. you know, by taking Embiid or Simmons out early, he can have maybe more like star more stars on the court propping up his reserve units later in halves. And he does that really weird thing that I had never seen before. And McNurse admitted yesterday he's never seen before until this year, which is the Sixers start the second and fourth quarters with their entire starting lineups on. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, so it's very weird substitution patterns from Brett Brown, but in his mind, obviously, there is a method to the madness. John Schumann uh, had tweeted a really interesting stat last night with you know all 10 starters on the floor the Raptors outscored the Sixers by five yeah in just under 11 minutes then with all five Toronto starters on the floor but not all five Philly starters the Raptors won those minutes by 12 and when it was flipped when the Sixers had their entire starting five against the Raptors non-starters the Sixers won them by eight Mm -hmm. um so again like very minor difference but the difference there is that Toronto had about two extra minutes than Philly did in lineups where their starters were playing non-starters. Mm-hmm. So that's what kind of stuck out to me because I figured those numbers would be reversed because of everything I'm talking about, right? Like Brett Brown's entire strange substitution pattern is to create those advantages at other points in the game. And in the end, 
Toronto still ended up with two extra minutes where their starters were playing non-starters. Hey guys, it's Walker Mail, host of the Locked On Hornets podcast, and being around sports media and a fan of the Hornets for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what-if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run on the one-yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip actually have landed Magic in Chicago, Michael in L.A., and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show, Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former Sports Center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week on the podcast, Trey and Kevin will pry open the sliding doors of a different what if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall, legacies will change forever, new goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Yeah, that, that's uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how the rotations adjust in Game 2 because like Game 1s are a feeling-out process, right? And that's kind of... I think kind of accepted and you can pick nits with how Nick Nurse did his rotations and you know the Jody Meeks ceremonial end of first quarter minutes and then he never sees the floor again um, and then we'll get to the Gasol thing in a sec but I'm wondering how the result of game one is going to affect how these teams how these coaches approach sub sub patterns in game two and going forward because like, it does feel like the battleground where this series is going to be won is just that. It is those minutes where the optimal lineup for one team is up against the suboptimal lineup for the other, and are they able to win those minutes? I think the starters are probably going to end up playing something close to a wash. Um, although, if the Raptors want to go and have Siakam and Leonard score 34 points in a first quarter again, then maybe they'll win those minutes. But, um, like, it, it does really feel like the, the real battleground is going to be in the rotation pattern. So I'm wondering if Brett Brown will change what he's done all season long and maybe keep his starters in longer against... It's it's really, really tough because I don't know what their solution is for the Sixers because they kind of have to do that if they want to get those minutes at the start of second and fourth quarters with their starters out there against a reserve-heavy unit for the, for the Raptors. But at the same time, it feels like any time MB comes off the court or one of or two of those starters... And the starters for the Raptors are out there. They're just going to bludgeon whatever lineup that is for the Sixers because there are such weak spots in Korkmaz and Boban and Jonah Bolden. And, like, I just don't trust anybody coming off the Sixers bench right now to really offer much resistance to the Raptors. And, you know, Boban, I'm pretty sure, like I said, got benched in the second half. He might have had one spurt in the third but then didn't play in the fourth. Jonah Bolden was the backup center there. And if you're already going to Jonah Bolden as your backup five in the second half of game one, and you don't have any other answers behind that except for like Amir Johnson and Greg Monroe, then I, I don't know what the solution is. Maybe it's Simmons at the five a little bit more, but then that invites the Raptors to maybe skew small and have Siakam out there. And anytime Embiid's not on the court, the Raptors are probably going to be pretty happy anyway because Embiid is really sort of the driver of their success. He was a plus four last night. Everyone else was a pretty serious negative. Butler, Harris were both minus 23s. Like, Embiid is very much the driver of their success, so I'm not sure how much you want to go with Simmons at the five. Um, and then, you know, that's going to scale everyone else's minutes up. And, and I think you're just going to see, you know, the Raptors were able to keep guys fresh last night. Ka- Kawhi and Kyle played 38 minutes, but Gasol only played 26, didn't play the fourth quarter. Green didn't play the fourth quarter either. He only played 32. Over the course of a series, if this does go long, I feel like those little, you know, bits where you can keep those guys a little fresher and you have 
the Sixers guys having to scale up their minutes because the bench is so bad and there are just no obvious answers among their bench guys, that's going to you know benefit the Raptors down the road as well. Um, let's get into the Gasol thing because yes. this was something we were sitting next to each other on press row last night just kind of talking about it, and we were a little bit perplexed that Nick Nurse was so stubborn when it came to matching up Gasol's minutes with Embiid's. Embiid only played 30 minutes in this game, you know, and I feel like he probably would have played a little bit more and come in near the end if Brett Brown hadn't kind of pulled the plug and waved the white flag with five minutes left. But the the Gasol and Bead matchup very much benefits the Raptors, even if Gasol is going to you know get scored on at some point, which you would assume is going to happen. That's the matchup you want instead of Ibaka, just because you know Ibaka, while I think is not a horrible, disastrous matchup against Embiid, it's not optimal, and it's not why you brought in Marc Gasol to have him sitting there and watch Embiid, you know, kind of post up Ibaka and do whatever he wants. Because when Ibaka is out there, that forces you know you have to you have to help and stuff like that. And credit to the Raps, they did a very good job of helping and giving Serge a hand, particularly Kyle digging down with those swipes that he had last night. Um, you know that was really useful. But Gasol, in my opinion, should be out there as much as possible against Embiid. And I. I I don't know. What did you think of Nurse being sort of stubborn and sticking with his plan? Uh, I think there's like good and bad to it, and I I can see both sides. I think, but um, what do you what did you think of how it all transpired last night? And would you expect or hope that he maybe fo- focuses a little bit more on getting Gasol against Embiid whenever possible in, in the future games of the series? Yeah, I would. Um, we, I think he should be mirroring his minutes. Mm-hmm. They should be matching minutes um, for the series. And you just look at last night, uh, Gasol was on the court for 17 of those Embiid minutes. Mm-hmm. And in those 17 minutes, uh, Joel Embiid had three points on one of eight shooting <laughs> with z- zero offensive rebounds, and he was a minus 10. In 13 minutes, Embiid played without Gasol on the court. He had 13 points on 4 of 10 shooting, still not great, with 2 offensive rebounds, and he was a plus 14. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, you know, you don't always just want to boil it down to some selective numbers, but, you know, the sample size of Marcus Gasol just neutralizing opposing centers in this playoffs is growing here, and he's got a history of neutralizing Joel Embiid. Um, going back to this season and prior to that, he's one of the few guys in the league who can match Embiid's size and strength down low. Mm-hmm. He pushes him off his spot. Like there was, you know, a handful of possessions last night I counted where the Sixers kind of seemed a little out of sorts offensively, literally just because it took them, you know, one, two, three extra seconds to get the ball into the post, into Embiid, which is where they wanted to start their actions. Or because Embiid caught the ball further from the rim than you know the play probably called for, and you can just see how it discombobulated not only Embiid but the entire Sixers offense. I just think match those minutes, uh, like you said, this is what Marcus Saul was brought in for. Uh, Serge Ibaka, I thought, actually did a nice job rebounding from a tough start in the second half. Mm-hmm. But you know, this is this is the playoffs. They're trying to play for a finals run, if not a championship, and. Right now, Joel Embiid, at the current moment, is the biggest thing in their way. Having Marcus All on the court while Joel Embiid's on the court kind of eradicates that mm-hmm. to a certain extent. And, you know, Ibaka probably won't be happy about it if he's only playing 18 minutes a night in the second round of the playoffs, but it is what it is. Man. Yeah, for sure. And I guess the counter, if you're Nick Nurse to like the calls to just have Gasol mirror Embiid and if Embiid's going to come out five minutes in pull Gasol and put a block in as I guess what we were talking about right is is if he doesn't trust that the starting lineup with Ibaka in place of Gasol if he were to sort of give Gasol the early hook there in line with Embiid if he doesn't think that can 
take advantage of the Sixers starters to the degree that the, the regular Raptors starters lineup would do to a sort of diminished Sixers lineup, then I guess that kind of makes some sense if that's his argument. Um, but at the same time, if Ibaka can't punish Jonah Bolden or Boban at, at center with the rest of the, the, the Sixer starters, then maybe that's a problem too. Um, and yeah, it is. I do think I would prefer the trade-off of maybe jumbling up Nurse's rotation, which it took him all season long to hit one, but he kind of has landed on something that sort of works here, even though the bench has not been amazing by any means. It hasn't been an absolute unmitigated disaster in these playoffs. Um, but yeah, I do think it's probably worth shaking things up and deviating from the plan. Because that's, I mean, what was Dwayne Casey's biggest thing? What was the thing people really railed on him for? He was too staunch with his rotations. He was too afraid and too slow to make necessary changes to his sub-patterns. And I, I would hope Nurse is not going to fall into that. Um, yeah. And look, there, there are things to manage here, right? And I think the way Nurse talked last night about Ibaka, he said something along the lines of, like, he's earned that chance. He's earned the opportunity to play against Embiid. And he does this thing where he kind of improves over the course of games. And for me, listening to that, it kind of, to me, sort of maybe gave us a bit of a hint as to why Nurse was so successful all year long with being able to manage the rotation of the centers, right? Like, he managed a platoon and kept guys happy all year between Gasol, Ibaka, Valanchunas when he was here. And it was smooth. And it really benefited the Raptors in so, so many ways. And maybe that's the key to it, right? Is letting guys run with it and giving and letting guys earn their minutes and not yanking guys because it's maybe the right thing to do strategically, you know, if it's going to sort of hurt feelings and stuff like that. And I totally sympathize with that. And I think Nurse did a really good job of managing that all year at the same time as the playoffs. And I would rather just see the optimal matchups. And if Ibaka is going to be upset about it, which I don't really think he would be. I don't know. Ibaka seems like he's pretty content and seems like he's doing okay. And there will still be minutes for him to play in this series. It's not like Embiid's playing 40 minutes a game and Gasol is going to match that, right? Like if Embiid's playing 28 to 30, there's still 20-something minutes there probably for Ibaka to get in. And so, like, I don't know. I, I, I would agree. I think Nurse should try to match those minutes a little bit better because I do not think they're going to get as lucky as they did and you know have, have Embiid struggle the way he did in Game 2 or, or going ahead in the series with Ibaka on the floor against him. And it does just sort of force the Raptors to betray how they want to play defense, I think. I really think they want to kind of avoid having to help as much as they can on Embiid. And Ibaka in there kind of compromises the the integrity of the entire defense. And maybe you can get away with it if James Ennis is on the court or Furkan Korkmaz is. And you're not too worried about them beating you if you help off of them. But um, I still think it's preferable to have Gasol try to match Ibaka's minutes. Or, sorry, Embiid's minutes. And I guess we'll see going forward if, if that's something Nurse you know gives into or if he's just gonna ride it out and see if he can keep you know maybe he'll just wait until it doesn't work for sure and then make this make the switch it's 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 tricky i'm not sure exactly how he's going to approach that he didn't sound as like a guy who was ready to make big wholesale changes last night although he did mention you know that you look at everything and you kind of you can't it's just it's game by game you can't you know assume because it worked in one game it's going to work in the next maybe that's a hint that he's going to change things it's tough to say i'm not sure um, any last notes on this before we move on to some other stuff? No, I think we covered it all. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think a coach is going to change um, much of his rotation after a team won the way they did last night, mm-hmm. uh, even though we'd like him to. Yeah, fair enough. 
Before we move on to uh, talk about what's to come in Game 2 and some other notes from Game 1, I want to tell people about our sponsor for today, and that is ZipRecruiter. Hiring is a challenge, but there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart, a place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates, and that place is ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. You don't have to go do the work. People are just going to find it, and you're going to get qualified candidates in your inbox right away. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that 80% of employers who host who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the very first day. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash LockedOn. ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. This is Jake from LockedOn. LockedOn has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Barea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, Joe. Let's, um, I don't know, any any other thoughts on game one and how it transpired? I, I guess my thing is, the Sixers aren't going to be that inefficient again. At least their top dogs are, you would think, right? I mean, Embiid's not going to go 5 of 18, you would assume, Butler's not going to go four of twelve, um, you know, and maybe you got the best of Ben Simmons and JJ Redick in this one. I don't know. I think Simmons could be a little bit more um, dangerous looking. I, I didn't. I wasn't scared of Simmons a lot in this game. But what do you think the Sixers are going to do better in Game Two? That's going to challenge the Raptors to uh, sort of shore up where they may have been lacking a little bit. Well, I think the one thing they can look at from Game One is. They, they came in with a clear advantage on the offensive glass, and he took that advantage. Yeah. The Raptors, um, the Raptors finished in the bottom half of the league again in terms of defensive rebound rate in the regular season. Uh, Philly was like 11th in offensive rebound rate, but during the first round, they grabbed 34.5% of available offensive rebounds. That's like gargantuan. The league average is about 25-26%. Mm. Um, so that was one thing that worried me coming in is if they could take advantage of the offensive class. And they ended up doing it. I think um, they had 14 second chance points last night. The Raptors had two. They dominated the offensive class. Um, those are the kinds of things where I guess in a game like last night when the Raptors just have advantages all over the court and um, they're playing to them and Kawhi's taking over, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's just the difference between winning by 10 or winning by 20. But, you know, in a lot of games a series that I think we expect are going to be pretty close because of how tightly matched 
the top talent is in this series, I do think those things matter. So if if Philly can continue to work the offensive glass like that, I do think you know it might lend itself to some of those games where the Raptors end up looking back being like, geez, if we just grabbed that defensive rebound or that defensive rebound, maybe the result would be different. Yeah, this was a weird rebounding game in general, I thought. I mean, Embiid only grabbed eight. Usually he's going to be a monster on the glass. Again, he only had two of the offensive boards. It was Tobias Harris that killed him, really. He had four. Yeah. Simmons had three. Um, and, like, Marc Gasol didn't have a rebound until, like, the fourth quarter or, like, end of the third quarter. He only finished with two, but I think he did a good job of, like, boxing out and doing the Marc Gasol thing um, where, you know, other guys benefit from him just clearing space down there. Um, and, and honestly... Even with the 13 offensive rebounds, I thought the Sixers probably could have milked more out of those, and I think it's been a thing the Raptors have done a good job of this season, and I'm not sure if there's any way to quantify like second-chance defense uh, or if there's like a stat out there to, to suggest that. I should probably know this, but um, it feels like the Raptors are pretty good at sort of scrambling when an offensive rebound is given up. And I think they did a pretty good job of that last night. They forced the Sixers into some long possessions after offensive boards, which is tricky to do because obviously rebounds are happening close to the basket. And I think they do a good job of like swarming whoever has got the rebound and forcing, you know, sort of a reset of the offense. And if you can do that, then, you know, the Raptors are sitting pretty because their half-court defense is incredible. And so I think they've done a good job of that. And so maybe they're less prone to being destroyed by a heavy offensive rebounding attack by a team than other teams because of how good they are at that. At the same time, it'd be nice to clear that up. And you know, there were a couple times where like Abaka just like let Embiid walk in for boards. And you know, I, again, he didn't get any offensive boards against Gasol, and that's another reason perhaps to uh, keep Gasol out there is just because he's such a good boxer outer, and because he clears yeah. so much space, that could maybe help mitigate that a little bit too. Um, Another thing that I think the Sixers can probably do a little better in Game 2 is just, like, have Simmons guard Kawhi as much as possible because Jimmy Butler just had no chance. I felt bad for Jimmy Butler. It was extremely cathartic to watch Jimmy Butler be able to, like, unable to do anything against the Raptors, which doesn't happen often, but, boy, it was great to watch last night. Um, And, like, Kawhi was just, like... It, I, it was insane what he was doing to Butler with the spin moves and just, like, the strength. Butler a couple times had to, like, bear hug him, and it still didn't even work. There wasn't even a foul call because it didn't even phase Kawhi. Um, there was the play, I think the sequence that kind of clinched the game where the Raptors went up 86-70. It was 81-70. Kawhi has the big block on Harris. It goes down for the Siakam dunk, and then the next possession down for the Raps. Kawhi kind of resets the offense, dribbles out to almost half court, spins on Butler, finds Danny in the corner, three, and then I think it's a timeout by Philly, and it's kind of, for me, where I started to like really ease off the anxiety and just feel like, all right, this thing's probably pretty close to wrapped up. Um, and like Butler just, I, I don't know, it, it just, he doesn't quite have the height to hang with Kawhi. Like Kawhi's what, 6'8", and Butler's like 6'5", and Kawhi's just so much stronger and I, I don't know if Simmons, if he's given the defensive responsibility to guard Kawhi for an entire game, is going to be okay. But I do believe he held Kawhi to like four of nine or something like that. Like five of his misses came against Simmons, and like Kawhi absolutely just bludgeoned both Harris and Butler. Um, what, what did you think in general of the way both teams matched up? I guess and how the Sixers, in, in particular, approached the Raps. Do you think there are ways where they can kind of milk a few extra points out of just how they? line up against the Raptors across the whole game? I mean, I think the easiest way would be to get Ben um, going in transition. Like He's a terror in transition. It's yeah. hard 
to stop them. Um, the problem is that the Raptors are such a good uh, defensive transition team that a lot of those opportunities for Simmons just aren't there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be hard for them. I mean, they get to attack, I guess, when Kawhi's not on him. There were a few possessions last night where I was surprised where Kawhi was on the court but not on Simmons, and mm-hmm. they need to take advantage of those. But for the most part, I, you know, I thought Simmons was actually solid last night, and I don't really see... Um, how they can get him going much more than that with Kawhi Leonard on the court. I really don't. I mean, we've seen how much of a terror he is for Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, on the flip side, I do agree with you that they should have more possessions where Simmons is guarding Kawhi. Uh, I don't think he'll necessarily stop him or anything <laughs> close to it, but I think he'll do a better job of Jimmy than Jimmy Butler did last night. Um, and and that was just... Uh, it was jarring to watch, to be honest with you. Like, Kawhi's dominated Jimmy Butler in the past, but to see it up close again, like Jimmy Butler is one of the toughest and strongest, like pound for pound guys as a defender, um, especially especially as a swingman. Mm-hmm. And to see him reduced to like a pile of rubble, <laughs> that he like he looked like a uh, a helpless undersized defender last night, mm-hmm. which is just ridiculous. Like Jimmy Butler's not supposed to look like that, and Kawhi Leonard did it, so. Yeah, I, I think their only chance, I guess, is, is Simmons on him. Um, it, it feels really strange that after a game one, it's the Raptors' opponent that seems like they've got just no no answer right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, I, I again I, the the thing that really stood out to me from this game is that I, I just don't know how much room for error the Sixers have, and I don't know how much they can afford to have like sections of the game where the wrong guy is guarding Kawhi or the wrong guy is guarding Siakam because the way that they've just exploited those mismatches. I mean, last night, with Tobias Harris guarding Pascal, guarded him for 35 possessions. The Raptors scored 45 points. Pascal was 5 of 8. Uh, like, it, it, it's just, he had 12 of his own points against against Harris. And it's just, it doesn't feel like there are, as much as there's, there's talent across the board, it feels like the Sixers have less answers for the Raptors' talent. Yes. And I, I just, I don't know what the optimal sort of situation is, because you throw, so say you throw Harris on, sorry, you throw Simmons on Kawhi, which I think is the optimal matchup there. Like, who's guarding Siakam? Like, would you put Butler on him? I think that's not going to work out very well. Um, if you're putting like obviously Harris could not guard him either, and so it's just it, it having to use Simmons on Kawhi, and this is why it's nice to have two incredible scorers, and the the, the reason that Siakam's development is so just it's remarkable and important, and just like such a luxury for this Raptors team to have because there's just there's so many weapons and not enough dudes who can guard those weapons, and, and I, I just. I don't know. Did, did this game? I don't, I'm not sure what your prediction was going into the series. Did this game at all alter how you feel about how the series is going to, you know, ultimately end up? I had um, I had Raptors in six. Mm-hmm. I don't want to move off it so early, but uh, again, it was jarring to see, you know, all the matchup advantages I thought the Raptors had. It was crazy to see just how big they were in Game One. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how much the Raptors exploited them, and if you know if that happens again in Game Two, then you know at that point, I guess I'd think Raptors in five. I, 
you know, Philly's a tough place to get a win. I still do think like the Raptors could go up two nothing, and it very well could just come right back here two two. Mm-hmm. So I guess yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna change what I predicted, but I'm definitely feeling confident in the fact that I have Raptors in less than seven. That's fair. Uh, I think that makes a lot of sense. I said Raptors in five. I feel very good about it right now. Um, and, and like, uh, look, I'm not saying every game is going to be that. Like, there's not going to be a blowout like that. I don't think in every single game that, that would be ridiculous. I think, but if that's the case, Brett Brown's getting fired straight up. Oh God, yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, it's just the adjustments that the Sixers can make. It just it feels like there's always going to be a weak spot for them because of their lack of depth. And I guess if Mike Scott comes back, that would be good. But I don't really think Mike Scott's going to be coming back. Like it just seems like he's like the plantar fasciitis. That that's a real ass injury. He was in a walking boot yesterday. That that seems yeah. like a little bit more than a heel contusion. You know, um, yeah. like we've seen what that did to Damari Carroll. Even if Mike Scott does play, I, I don't know how effective he'll be. And obviously, anything is better than what they were rolling out as their bench guys. But like, it's there's just so this this is the whole flaw in the in the construction of this roster, right? Is that there's just no margin for error for the starters. And when the starters come across a lineup that look, I think the the Sixers starting lineup. I said this on the preview podcast with Adam Aronson a couple days ago. Like, I think the starts the Sixers have a better, like more talented starting five, but the Raptors have a better one. You know what I mean? It just works better together, and because of all the holes in the roster, there's only so much the Sixers can play their starting five together because they got to have rotations and balance it all out. And there's any time that the starters for the Sixers are on the court, I think it's going to end up poorly for them. So um, I am feeling pretty good right now. Um, things can obviously change, and I'm sure the Sixers will come out with some sort of change in how they approach the Raptors in game two. But man, it was really, really nice to watch that game last night and just see... All of the like the hype of this Raptors team and how good they are and like the the the, the murmurs now beginning that hey maybe they can actually win the title um, which is something that I'm starting to buy into it's crazy but I'm kind of buying into it because they seem to have all the ingredients and they're insanely good and look Kawhi and Pascal aren't going to shoot what is it 18 of 38 or what 28 of 38 every single game 28 of 38 that's fucking crazy yeah. <laughs> but. But, like, they, they have all the ingredients. They have multiple one-on-one scorers. They have excellent defenders everywhere. They have good point guard play. They have, It's just, they have all of it. And game one was got to be one of the, it's, it's probably one of the most enjoyable games of the last five years, I would think, playoff-wise. Like, it was just, it was everything that you could have wanted. And it feels really good, man. <laughs> it feels really good. Uh, any parting yeah. shots here, Joe, before we uh, wrap this thing up? No, I think we're good, man. I think uh, I think people should enjoy this series for what it is. I think it's the Raptors uh, being at least slightly better, if not more, than a very good, very talented team. And I don't think it's often you've been able to say that during the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just for all those reasons, like you said, it might it, you know it has the makings of the most enjoyable series in Raptors history because you know even when they made the deep run in 2016. First of all, they had to struggle against the Pacers and the Heat, and I don't think getting through those teams really felt like, wow, you know, like, they beat that team. Whereas, you know, if they can kind of brush aside this Sixers team in five, it'll just be like a different, it'll be a different level of confidence and a different feeling of superiority that I really honestly don't think Raptors fans have ever had before. Yeah, and a lot of that comes from Kawhi, 
And before yep. we wrap, I, Kawhi Leonard Appreciation Minute makes its return. Uh, holy shit, dude. <laughs> like, I don't think it, like, these playoffs have been full of press row cackles when Kawhi does things. Last night was yep. definitely the cacklingest, I think. Um, yeah. Just, like, some of the shots he was hitting, some of the, the moves he was pulling up Butler, the the baseline fadeaway hit that, like, ricocheted and made a couple bounces, and, and Kawhi, like, got pretty animated when it went down all of it's just it, it's something we've never seen man and it might not last beyond the next month or so here and that will be sad and disappointing but appreciate it while it's happening man i, I have moved into full-on stop worrying about the future mode and just watch what the hell's happening right now because it, it's it's nuts it, it the second highest scoring output ever by a raptor in the playoffs i would not be stunned if he ended up beating vince's 50 at some point here he just is in a different zone right now, man. It's it's really, really remarkable and different and fun to watch. And um, sort of juxtaposed, I guess, against DeMar DeRozan going 7 of 21 in Game 7 against the Nuggets. As much as that sucks and I was rooting for DeMar, like, it's it's uh, it's unquestionable, man. It's just undeniable. It, he's so fucking good. <laughs> I just he's, he's, lost right for now words. He's averaging over 30 points on an effective field goal percentage of 65 plus and yeah. a true shooting percentage of 70. He's shooting like 60, 50, 90. Yeah. And that's with a 5 of 19 game in there. Yeah, that's the crazy <laughs> part. In a small sample, like it's only six games. A 5 of 19 game should tank your percentages. And instead, he's having the most efficient, high-scoring playoffs literally ever. Yeah. Also, he's smiling and cracking jokes in walk-off yeah. interviews. Yeah. It's great. He's chilling with Drake. It's all good. Oh. Last night, we saw Vlad with Drake in the in the tunnel. That was also very cool. <laughs> Oh, God. It was just everything about that game. The celebrity appeal. It was just, it felt like a, almost like a graduation of, so, of sorts from like <laughs> the old Raptors into like, oh, no, this is the Raptors, baby. The Raptors, that the, like not your dad's or your younger brother's or older brother's Raptors. Like, it, it's just something new. It's uh, it's really, really cool. I appreciate it while it's going on, man. Uh, Joe, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for jumping on the podcast. Do you have anything you'd like to promote? Uh, yeah, just, um, you know, if you've got the score app, you can find my takeaways after every Raptors playoff game. You can find uh, myself and co-worker Joe Wolfon kind of doing takeaways throughout the playoffs, breaking down every series. And uh, specifically, if um, no one's watched it, we've got a thing at the score called the Score X series. It's like mini documentaries on players. And our latest one, you can find it on the Score's YouTube channel, is um, we followed Austin Rivers. We were actually with him the week he got traded. Huh. in December and then waved by the Suns and then we met up with him again in Houston so talk a little bit about his like crazy roller coaster season and what that's like for a professional athlete but we also spent a lot of time talking about you know him growing up in the shadow of just being Doc's son and uh, you know the um, perception that he's only in the league because of nepotism he talks about the you know the ups and downs of Lob City the fences he had to mend with Chris Paul before joining the Rockets it's pretty interesting stuff so People want to check that out. They know where to find it. Cool, man. Uh, check out that and also listen to Pound the Rock. You guys do a very good job on that podcast, too. Yes. And uh, you. you can find me at Woodley Sean on Twitter. I wrote last night's quick recap. Uh, I think Dan Reynolds is going to have a longer piece out today or tomorrow, so read that as well. And uh, I'll be back game two. I'll have something written for that game, too, I'm sure. And uh, subscribe, rate, review to iTunes, Citrus, Spotify, Google Play, Himalaya as well. 
uh, for Lockdown Raptors and any other Lockdown podcast show that you want to listen to and support. If you want to hear about the inferior Boston Celtics and Milwaukee Bucks, you can do that with Lockdown Celtics and Lockdown Bucks, both very good shows. Uh, there's no shortage of stuff for you to check out if you want to, any of the series going on. It's such a good second round. You should be listening to all the local Lockdown shows for each of these ones. Uh, and lots of very good hosts still kicking around uh, alive in the playoffs for you to listen to. And uh, that's going to do it. Thanks so much for tuning in. We will be back again Monday night. I think after game two, I'm going to hook up with Keith, Keith Pompey, the host of Locked On Sixers, for a podcast after the game. So please stay tuned for that. And until then, enjoy just basking in this win because it's delightful. And we will talk to you next time on Locked On Raptors. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.